Looking for health info? This is Health U's House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's podcast. We're here to provide you with the tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. Here, our expert providers will provide you with wellness tips, information, and general health advice. This is House Call. A good night's sleep is something we can all appreciate, but do you know who craves it the most? Parents. As a parent myself, I know the challenges of getting a good night's sleep. One study shared that new parents get around five to six hours of sleep per night. And for those with newborns, those aren't consecutive hours. That's in between feedings and the baby waking up. If you're looking for some hope and guidance on how to get a better night's rest for you and your child, look no further. Today, we have pediatric sleep neurologist, Dr. Stacy Elkatib-Smith here to help us. We will uncover essential strategies for better sleep, discuss common sleep challenges, and learn about the science behind healthy sleep patterns. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for being here. I can't wait to dive into this with you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So as I just mentioned, you know, kicking right off, new parents, we're not getting a ton of sleep. Um, what would, I guess, your, your general advice be for a new parent who's struggling right now? I would start off with, Everyone's trying their best. I think that's that's the first thing, um, especially now with social media and everything else out there. I feel like there's so much pressure on parents to have this perfect, perfect child, perfect sleep, perfect everything. And you just always have to remember that that's very edited. What you see in you know out there is very edited. And so you're doing your best. And you know to try to get better sleep, there are things you can do. In the first couple of weeks, you are on your baby schedule. Really, your your child with, you know, for the first month of life could be sleeping anywhere from 14 to 17 hours per day. It could even be as much as 20 hours per day. And so you're on their on the baby schedule as far as feeding, waking, napping, you know, this cycle is just you know, going, 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 and and you just um, need to go along with it and try to catch sleep when your baby's sleeping. So if your baby's napping at 11, try to take a quick nap then just to get that sleep in. For babies within the first few weeks, they really don't have that circadian rhythm that tells your body, okay, this is daytime, nighttime, it gives you that that inner clock in your body that that gives you the sleep cycles that you have and so even though babies don't have that after the first week or two you can try to take your baby out in the morning you know get that early morning light um during the daytime keep you know keep the lights on keep activities going don't suddenly make your house you know completely silent all day um you still want to give your babies those those cues um, and then at nighttime, you want to have the lights dim just to try to start, you know, start giving those cues to help your baby eventually get to that daytime, nighttime pattern. Yeah, those are great tips. So pretty much in the very beginning, it's survival, you yeah. know, get the rest when you can. Um, it is so disorienting. I'm a parent and it's, I just remember just being like, am I actually this tired, you know? And yeah. But you close your eyes and you pass out within like a second and you're like, yep, <laughs> I am that tired. Yeah. So at what point can babies start to sleep longer stretches? I know a lot of parents are looking for that magical, you know, having my child sleep through the night. Yeah. And that means in, in baby terms, your, your baby's sleeping maybe six hours straight. And that may not happen until three months at the earliest. You know, a lot of six-month-olds may just start to hit that that 
stretch at six months. And for some, it might be nine months. Some, it might even be a little later. It just varies by the child. Um, definitely after the first month, your your baby's feedings may start to lengthen a little instead of every two to three hours, it's every three to four. And so that can help a little bit with longer stretches of sleep. Um, also, after your baby is around six weeks old, you can try to do a dream feed. So that would be, you know, your child's already sleeping at night, but then you as the parent, maybe you're going to go to bed at 10.30 or 11 or 11.30. And so what you can do is wake up your baby, do a feeding, even if the baby's still you know, half asleep during it, um, just to get that feeding in. So then you have a stretch of maybe four hours before the next feeding. Yeah. So it's keeping that baby full, catching them before they wake up so that you can get a good stretch. Yeah. Exactly. That sounds pretty good. Um, so let's, I guess, just talk about like sleep habits in general um, and what you advise. So a newborn, you want them in a bassinet. You think they should sleep in the room with you. Like, do you have any tips on that? The American Academy of Pediatrics has some great guidelines about sleep for babies, and they recommend that your baby is in the same room as you for the first six months. Just um, They've seen that it can decrease the incidence of sudden infant death. You want the baby not in your bed because that can be very dangerous. You want them in a bassinet or a crib. It should be a firm surface. There should be nothing else in in whatever that that bassinet or or crib that you're using. Uh, You want to make sure that it's up to safety standards. You're not using something from 20 years ago. When you were a baby. When you were a baby. I know many, (laughs) many parents do hold on to things. So you don't want to take, you know, having your mom show up with this was your bassinet. Yeah. It's like like, falling apart. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, appreciate the sentiment, but uh, you do want to get something a little newer. Um, And then you're also not smoking in the room. Um, You're not using blankets. Um, You know, you don't want anything that could smother the baby. When can a baby start using a blanket? I asked because I feel like I waited so long for my daughter and I'm like, she is like functioning as a little adult and she still didn't have a blanket because I was paranoid. (laughs) Um, so, so in the first, I, I guess it, it depends because the first um, month or two of life, it is okay to swaddle before your baby is rolling. rolling yeah. um, you don't want to use a blanket um, per se because, again, that can move around, could you know, could suffocate the baby. Um, but as soon as your child is starting to roll or, or getting near that age, you don't want to use that because then they can move around. And so, again, really in that first year, you're not using anything that everything should be empty you know you would just mm-hmm. have whatever the the sleep outfit your child's yeah. using at night like a sleep sack that's what we had used mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah all right so they're in the bassinet there's nothing else in it it's a hard surface um when do you say that they move to like their own room or a crib for so for the bassinet it really you know it depends on your baby it may be some bigger babies may seem to be awfully cramped in that little bassinet and so you may move them sooner but for many children that transition from the bassinet to crib can be around three or four months up to six months old um, like I said you want to keep them at least in your bedroom for the first six months and then you could always think about transitioning them out but there's no harm in keeping them in your room longer during that during that first year right all right I'm pivoting here but I want to know your thoughts what are your thoughts about the whole witching hour? Like, what is happening when your baby's going insane? For me, it was like 5 to 7 p.m. There was nothing we could do to bring peace 
it was just you know screaming crying and i didn't we didn't know why like you know she's fed she's clean like what's happening and it just it just was like that for a while Babies go through, they go through a lot of phases. And for for some people, you know, for that witching hour, your particular one, I don't know at that five to seven, like you said, you checked all the things you should. Was she fed? Was she tired? You know, it mm-hmm. seemed, you know, I mean, a lot of kids get a bit of a witching hour if they're overtired. So it may be that you you miss that window. So there's there can be this misperception that, okay, if I keep my, my baby up later, then they'll yeah. sleep longer, it'll be better. But actually for babies and even you know, younger children, uh, sometimes when they're overtired, they get more upset. Yeah. And so if you miss that, that those cues where you're, maybe your baby's rubbing her eyes or you know yawning or seeming to get a little fussy um and you say okay we're going to power through it keep her up um then you you may get that that witching time um so if you do notice those those cues you want to make sure you put your baby to bed um and and try to try to try to prevent it but again sometimes there's just there may not be an explanation yeah we and it'll pass just wrote it out (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) seems like forever ago now and i'm okay with that um so do you ever have, I guess, parents who, I, so again, speaking from experience, I never co-slept, but I would sometimes wake up in a panic thinking the baby's in the bed. Is that like a common thing for people? Being like, oh God, are they in here? You, I definitely, when you have those, especially first few weeks where you, everything you do, you know, every waking moment is centered around the baby. And I mean, yeah. maybe not just a few weeks for a long time, but you know, you're so so into the rhythms of the child and so it's not surprising that you know you would wake up in a panic saying oh oh gosh what's happening you know where is mm-hmm. he where is she um that sort of thing just because again it's just your your life changes so much with the baby and it's just a you're in a different rhythm yeah when so patients that you see what are i guess the youngest that you would see so I can see babies if they're having trouble sleeping, and then I will see new patients up through the age of 21. Uh, so I, I do do the the whole age span for childhood. What's the, I guess, the most common reason you would see an infant? It would be trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. That would be the most common. Uh, you also want to make sure you're not missing um, any medical problems in your child. Um, you know, if you notice the baby's snoring or having pauses in breathing, they could be having sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. So you would, you would want to talk to your pediatrician about that, or maybe they're having um, reflux. You know, that can be another common uh, medical condition in this age group. So you, you always want to watch out for other things. Right. So the babies that do have reflux or um, like, what do you do for sleep? I know my daughter had it a bit and it's like, you have to hold them up for a little while mm-hmm. after feeding. Um, and I know you should never use like a wedge or anything, but like, what do you advise for parents? So I would always have them start with the pediatrician um, because there are things you can do that are more um, like you you were saying sort of behavioral where you keep mm-hmm. them upright or, you know, maybe you have smaller feedings, um, that sort of thing. Um, then in some children, it they do end up maybe needing medication, but it really just, it just depends. So thinking about sleep training, what are your thoughts on that? And by sleep training, I mean, it's, um, you know, basically training your baby to be able to go to sleep on their own without being held, not falling asleep in your arms. What are your thoughts? Sleep training can be really helpful. I feel like, I mean, it's just, you know, I do feel like it is such a buzzword, you know, this, you know, everyone, you know, 
sleep training. And then obviously, again, there's all this pressure that if you don't have this perfect schedule at three months exactly, yeah, you're you know, your child's fa- right. <laughs> yeah. It's the end of the world. And it, and it's not. Yeah. So so it is not. Um, but I would say the earliest you you can think about sleep training would be around actually four, four months. So mm-hmm. that four to six month range. Um, even before that, though, you can do, do some things that can help establish a good bedtime routine and, and rhythm in your in your baby. So after that, you know, maybe six week mark or so, um, you know, when your child's starting to develop a little more, you can start to introduce a bedtime routine. And so just for any age, consistency is really helpful for sleep and you know, even for adults too. Yeah. You want to have that same routine so your baby or your older child knows what to expect every night. You get the right cues that, okay, you know, when this this routine starts that's going to lead to bedtime you always want to move towards the bedroom so you don't want to be up you know be upstairs or in the bedroom then you go out then you come Mm -hmm. back you know all of that um just boring is better you just want to do calming activities move towards the bedroom so as far as the sleep training um at four to four to six months again you you could even you know you can always do some form of sleep training later if you need to but but as you mentioned the big thing is trying to help your your baby or your child learn how to self-soothe and a big thing is putting down uh, your child awake but drowsy Um, because if you even think of yourself if you fall asleep in one location and then you have a natural awakening awakening which everyone has you wake naturally during the night if suddenly things are different that can be very disconcerting and now you're up thinking what's going on. Um, and that also applies to how you fall asleep. So again, for any age, if normally you're being held or you're being rocked or you're being fed or a parent's lying with you in the bed for an older child, you have that association. And so when your body naturally wakes up during the night, your brain says, wait a second, this is different. Yeah. And instead of just falling back asleep, you say, hey, I need to have that same situation, that parent holding me, that rocking, whatever it is. And so a big thing is just, um, always starting at bedtime and introducing you know the, that uh, independent sleeping at bedtime and then that can translate to the rest of the night yeah I actually heard it likened to which I think makes total sense that it's like if you're holding your child to fall asleep it's like you falling asleep in your bed but then waking up at your neighbor's house you know <laughs> like your parents no longer there and right. I was like wow that makes so much sense because my daughter was doing the same thing, like waking up. And I was like, she's clearly looking for me and I'm not there, you know? So it's so challenging, but it is so crucial to get them to feel comfortable because now she loves her bed and she like, I'm like, you ready to lay down? Yeah. And she wants to go and like, that's her safe space. So it is for parents out there struggling, you can do this. Um, So what, again, it can be um, challenging for parents to get to that place where they are comfortable falling asleep on their own because that means in the beginning there's going to be a lot of crying you know they're going to be crying like come back like hold me you know obviously they can't talk yet they're babies but that's kind of what they're saying is there like a time frame that you set for people to say like okay go back and check on them or I know every baby's probably going to be a little different based on like what they respond to but like is there a rule of thumb you typically say of like here's how we can get you to that like sleep training stage Every, every child, every family is very different, and there are different ways to approach sleep training. And I think the, the big take-home point is you know, it's different for everyone. And it's also 
what the parents, you know, sort of how they envision it, what they can tolerate as far as crying, and also their time frame because some methods are quicker than others. The maybe most, I don't know if it's the most famous, but everyone always thinks of cry it out. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. you know, put the baby it's a terrible in. terrible term. <laughs> it really, yeah, it is, you know. Um, and, and just, you know, as far as that, you know, no matter what, what type of sleep training you do, studies have shown that, you know, it's not going to cause emotional trauma yeah. in your child. I think that's another thing. Parents' hearts are breaking, thinking I've yes. now traumatized my child for life. You haven't, but obviously, again, you you have to sleep at night. You have to get through this too. Um, so, as far as the crying out, that that is that is the method that works the fastest. But mm-hmm. it is, I would say, the toughest because you put the baby, you know, into the the crib. You make sure, obviously, he or she is safe. You know, all is mm-hmm. well. But then you leave, and yep. that's it. And you know, the first night, the baby's going to cry for some time. Then the second night, it's going to be even worse. The third night, it could be even worse or maybe a little better. And then, you know, it should start to decrease. And so in a few days, your, your child should learn how to fall asleep. But that could be a very, very tough couple of days. Um, other methods that are a little more gradual would be more of a checking-in method where you put the baby to bed, then you leave, and then you just do time check-ins. I mean, maybe it's only after a minute or two to start, but then as the night goes on, you, you increase that interval. I mean, maybe you even start longer and say, I'm checking in in five minutes, then 10, then mm-hmm. 15. Or again, you could be saying one minute, three minutes, you know, five, whatever it is. But you just do these time check-ins. And then every night, you increase the 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 time you're taking to go check in. Um, so that's, that's another more gradual one. Um, there's also the chair method where you start by sitting in a chair right by the baby's you know, bassinet or crib. And then um, you every night you just gradually move further and further away. And if your child's crying, there, you know, some some say, okay, don't do anything, which can also be hard. Or you can also um, just, you know, quickly reassure the baby, but try not to have, you know, too big of an interaction and then you go back to the chair. So so there are different ways. Yeah, I tried all of them. And uh, <laughs> the chair was, I think, the worst. She was, was it? like, enraged. Like, what are you doing in here? Like, you know, and you're not picking me up. Um, yeah, it was pretty quick for us, though. I mean, we did let her cry. And honestly, it was the best move. We had to re-sleep train because she's had surgeries and stuff. So then it was kind of like, I'm not going to let her cry after she had surgery. Right. So the sleeping was, you know, screwed up. But we re-sleep trained maybe twice. Um, and it only took, like, four days. It was like first night was the worst and then second night was not so bad and then third fourth night it was like five ten minutes then by like the fourth night it was like two minutes of like eh okay I'm going back to bed <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so hang in there parents because it's so hard when you're holding a child to fall asleep that's how we used to get her to go to sleep mm-hmm. bedtime is like a journey you know because you're in there for forever and then you want them to be like passed out before you put them down it's like really challenging yeah so yeah I say hang in there to everyone oh definitely and and also just very quickly you also if if there is more than one parent in the household you also have to just um, be on the same page which can mm-hmm. also be really tough because one parent may be ready for cry it out and then the other one says no way and so um, you want to make sure you have something that's mutually agreed upon because again consistency is really what 
what is a huge help with sleep. And so if one night it's cried out, the other night it's mm-hmm. a different method, just that flipping back and forth does more harm than good. So again, you just have to have to try your best to get on the same page. Yeah. For for parents who struggle hearing them cry, take the dog for a walk. That's what I did. I was like, <laughs> you're going to stay in the house and <laughs> make sure she's okay, but I got to get out of here because I can't hear it. Um, but yeah, no, that makes total sense because it's just part of that bedtime routine, you know? Definitely. What do you feel about sound machines? I ask because I feel like I've recently read that someone, not someone, like studies are showing that like sound machines actually can cause harm to your brain. Do you think that's true? I think it depends. Um, If you're using something like a sound machine, you want to make sure it's not too loud. You Mm -hmm. don't want to damage a child's hearing. You want to have it far enough away, soft enough. Um, It goes back to the the sleep onset association. So if your child falls asleep with a sound machine, then you would need to keep it on the whole night because, again, if they wake up and sound machine's off, then then they're going to get confused. Um, And then you just... You know, you also have to think about if they learn to sleep with the sound machine, then when you go other places or yeah, moving forward, then machine. you need that yeah. sound machine, which again, for some some people, it, it may not be a bad thing because maybe the child really couldn't sleep well until you did a sound machine and mm-hmm. that's what they need. And then it's just knowing that, sure, this is this is a step. Again, nothing, nothing is forever with sleep. It's constantly changing. And so maybe the sound machine is what they, maybe that is what they need, but um, I wouldn't, I I think I've heard a lot of people say, okay, you know, my child needs, you know, I mean, every, again, everything perfect, you know, they need a sound machine, mm-hmm. they need a, they, like, they need all of these things. And you really don't have to do that from the get go. You know, I would say sometimes um, a simpler is, is better. Yeah, we don't need to overcome. We don't need to overcome, right. And, but you know, maybe there is that child out there that really struggles and a sound machine is, is what's going to help them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just part of that sleep routine. I use a sound machine and I'm like, I'm addicted to the sound machine, you know, and that's that's not really great. Sleep regressions. Why does that happen? Sleep regressions are tough. And again, for, for any parent, they don't necessarily want to hear it this way, but it's actually a sleep progression, but it doesn't feel that yeah. way um, because your child is sleeping great. And then all of a sudden it's all, it's all, messed up it's terrible Mm -hmm. um but but a lot of times these happen because your child is developing as they should and they're gaining milestones it happens you know at at these spurts of development and you know between that one to two age you'll have a couple i mean even babies younger than one may have these brief sleep regressions and it just shows that your child's developing Um, but again as a parent it's really hard because everything was going fine until it's not and you know it's it's important to give it a little bit of time, which is easier said than done. Um, you, When you notice this change in sleep, you first wanna make sure that your child's not sick, there's nothing medical causing it. But if there's nothing else going on, then you do wanna give it at least a week or two before you think about changing things because the knee-jerk reaction is, my child didn't sleep well, I need to change everything. You know, I need to fix it so that tomorrow it's all better because it's affecting you as the parent, it's affecting other kids, it's affecting the whole family. But you do have to try to pump the brakes a little bit and just see, does it get better in a week or two before you try to adjust the schedule? Um, you know, maybe your child does need extra, maybe some extra attention, maybe a little extra cuddling, but you, um, try not to sort of start a whole thing. If your child was falling asleep on their own, you, you don't want to suddenly now be, you know, be holding them to fall asleep, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of start new patterns. But it just 
just hang in there. And then again, after a week or two, if it hasn't changed, then okay, then maybe it is time you can try to make some adjustments to see if that helps your child. Yeah, that makes good sense. It's it is hard. Like you said, it's like something goes wrong and you're like, we got to go back to norm. But I think that's all parenthood. It's like you're constantly changing and evolving and you're growing with them so that we can just all be on the same page. So you just got to roll with it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. At what point would you say a parent should come and see a, a pediatric neurologist like you for sleep? Like when, when is it like, okay, raise the red flag. You know, we're seeing a lot of sleep issues. It really varies on the family. I mean, I would say, you know, if it's been, it's probably, it's more, I would say, how the family perceives it. You know, for some families, it's been a couple of weeks, sleep is not great, and, you know, it's everything's upside down for them. And so maybe for them, it would be really helpful to see me on the earlier side. Whereas some other families, maybe they say, you know what, I'm, I'm talking to the pediatrician, I've got some recommendations, I'm doing it on my own. I've tried X, Y, and Z, and it hasn't worked. Now, now I want to come see, you know, see a physician. And so it, it really depends. Um, and that's more from the sort of sleep training, sleep schedule sort, you know, field of, of things. But obviously, if your child is, you know, snoring, pausing, and breathing, anything medical, I would take them to the pediatrician right away, and and then um, figure out if if that patient needs to come see me. Right. Yeah, pediatrician is probably always a good first stop. Uh, when when a patient comes to see you, what what's like the typical process? Um, I'm sure like a sleep study, is that like down the road that you recommend? Like what happens when they come to see you first? To start off, it's it's a lot of history. And mm-hmm. so what I usually do is I, I divide the visit, or at least in my, in my mind, I sort of divide it into two buckets. One is medical sleep problems, and the other is more, we'll say behavioral, but sort of um, you know, sleep patterns, sleep routines, um, and, and that sort of thing. And so I'm asking a lot of questions about the the routine at home, you know, the sleep, what's happening during the daytime, getting that sort of history. But then I'm also screening for sleep disorders like sleep apnea. Um, it may be other things like narcolepsy, restless legs. You know, there there are many medical sleep disorders, and so I'm trying to sort out, you know is the problem in one of the buckets or mm-hmm. actually sometimes it's in both you know it it may be that they're having a medical sleep problem and also difficulty sleeping as far as a sleep study that's usually ordered if we're worried about sleep apnea so so pauses in breathing or abnormal breathing while a child's sleeping um, that's really the the main reason we order it there are also tests um, daytime tests the mean sleep latency te- or excuse me the multiple sleep latency test um, where we're looking for a diagnosis of something like narcolepsy or idiopathic hypersomnolence which are disorders of um, excessive sleepiness in a patient and we do a sleep study the night before then this daytime test to help diagnose that so not every child who comes to see me will get a sleep study it really just depends on what's going on what is that like next stage look like for older kids yeah so um i mean so right going from babies to toddlers um I mean, I think we kind of addressed it with the bedtime routine, you know, keeping all that the same. Um, around, you know, 18 months to two years, then you can sometimes get into the trouble where children are more developing more, but they, um, you know, they don't know time. Mm-hmm. And so that's when, you know, they might be up at four in the morning, ready to go. And so you can start using like a good a good morning light. Um, so like a time night light, that sort. And that would what, like indicate to your child, like, 
now is time to get up. So if they look and they see like lights not on, that means it's still bedtime. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, okay. so you put a timer on and so it changes. So right, you, you start to um, teach your child, okay, when it's, you know, red or y- whatever color you choose, this is nighttime. And so you can't, mm, okay. you know, That's get really out smart. of your, can't get out of your crib or, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, your parents are not going to come in to, to get you until that flips to say green. Um, but that can sometimes help with those children who wake up really early yeah. and are like, I'm ready to go. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's 4 a.m. Are there strategies, I guess, that you give the child for those who wake up? And like, what if they don't want to go back to sleep? Do you say like, okay, you can read books? Like, what do you, what do you have them do? Yeah. So if they, I mean, if it's that, so it depends. So some children, they're okay. You know, if they, they're just kind of there, kind just of singing out. to themselves okay. or kind of talking to themselves. <laughs> I mean, for other ones, um, I guess then the parent would need to go in to give them something, which that can be a little challenging because you're trying to give the cue that, you know, parents yes. not going to come in until it turns green. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know. You, you could try that still, I guess, and give them like a book or something to look at, but then, you know, say, okay, you know, we're not, we're not getting out until whatever time. But um, I think it works better if, um, say, you start with, if your child's always waking up at four, um, you start with it, it turning green, say, at four, just so that they know, okay, at four, you know, then I, I, take, them, I take them out. And then what you can do is, okay, then you move the timer to, say, 4.30, mm-hmm. because your, your child's not going to know that the time changes. So then um, you start to, you know, gradually shift them later. Okay. And so that may help a little bit, too, because um, you may be able to hold off on having to go in there sooner, because you're sort of gradually pushing that pushing time, that time sure. a little later. The kids who are waking up that early, is that affecting them like later in the day that they need another nap? I would think, don't they need more sleep? Yeah, it may that then they end up taking an earlier nap and, you know, in the earlier in the morning because they've, they've already been up that long. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can, you know, try to, you know, adjust nap times. It, it just it just depends. Um Sometimes you can run into the opposite where you have um, a child who's taking a nap late, like, uh, you know, maybe 6 or 7 p.m., and then they're not going to fall asleep until much later, so so actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so you want to try to have those naps, you know, end by 4 or so just to give enough time for the child to build up enough sleep pressure for, for nighttime sleep. And how long do children need to nap for? Like, is there a certain age where they just kind of grow out of it? So around, you know, that, you know, two years or so, three years, you know, some kids will, you know, at that age move from the two naps to one nap. Mm -hmm. And then by five years old, many children have stopped napping, though there is still a smaller percentage of children that still may need that nap at five. So what do they do? I I know like a lot of preschools, daycares like have nap. What is your advice for parents who've had children in the home who are now going to like a group setting and they all need to nap? Is that, that can, a challenge? It can be for some 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 patients because you know these children just don't want to nap and yeah oh, uh, no. yeah, <laughs> yeah and so you know you have to talk to the the daycare or whatnot. It may be that they can give them something quiet to do yeah. you know while the other children are napping because you know every child is just so different at this age at, with what they need. Right. Yeah, that's the life lesson here. Everyone's different, and we just need to keep pushing forward, right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> If it's, you know, starting to be a new school year or just like a change after kids have been off for winter break and like sleep schedules are like disrupted, I guess, what tips do you have for parents to kind of get get the reins back? 
I would say starting a couple weeks before school starts or, or whatever that that new new thing that mm-hmm. is starting and try to make gradual changes. You know, you probably know even as an adult, it's really hard to just you, you can't just change your sleep schedule yeah. overnight. No, no pun intended, but you can't just, you know, snap your fingers and the next day it's completely changed. And so it's best to make gradual changes. So if your child's, you know, sleeping going to bed much later than than what they need to do for school, then try to, you know, every night, maybe you go or every couple nights, move it earlier by 15 minutes mm-hmm. or 30 minutes. And then um, it goes on both ends. And so it's the falling asleep time, but also the wake up time. Because if you're still sleeping in really late, again, you won't build up that sleep pressure to help you go to sleep early. So, so you want to move the bedtime and the wake up time earlier by, yeah. say, 15 to 30 minutes every couple of days to help your child adjust well, Dr. Schmidt, thank you so much for coming in and sharing all of this knowledge with us. I hope some sleepy parents out there can find some hope and get their kids to bed. Thank you so much for having me. The material provided through this podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.